our first episode of The Future of Work, I took time to meet Drs Dunlop and Gagné from the Future of Work Institute, or FAWI. In the conversation, we addressed the focus on automation in the future of work, and how we are perhaps neglecting to factor in a need to focus on the human experience. For this episode, the human aspect to the future workplace continues with a conversation with Dr Gretchen Petrie. Dr Petrie is a research fellow at FAWI, holding qualifications from both Washington State University and the University of Connecticut in organisational psychology. Her particular interest is the study into issues typically associated with ageing workers, and she has written many recent publications and articles on this subject. We join the conversation as Dr Petrie explains what has contributed to the problems associated with an ageing workforce and why we should perhaps be lending it more of our attention. Contribute to the problem is just the nature of life. Um, mm-hmm. Essentially, there's been a lot of breakthroughs that have happened in the last hundred years. So, um, in the past, people didn't live as long. You know, when you uh, um, after the Great World Wars, um, you know, there were policies that were maybe implemented. Uh, I, I know I could speak of in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Social Security was, was put into place. Um, and it's this idea to provide some means of support for, uh, for workers um, past their working years when they're no longer able to work. Mm-hmm. When these uh, plans were put into place, life expectancy was much, much shorter than it is yeah. now. So people were were only living until late 60s. You know, maybe their retirement would kick in, um, or their superannuation, however you yeah. want to phrase it, um, it would kick in in maybe their mid 60s. So you're only looking at a few years when people would would have this. But there's been a lot of medical breakthroughs that have occurred. Mm-hmm. So people are living a lot longer. Um, people are living healthier longer. Yeah. Um, you also are seeing changes in. The, com- the composition of the workforce. You see more women working, which has an impact on uh, reproduction. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's lower reproduction rates. So people, you have this, this cohort or this chunk of people that are aging and they're living a lot longer. You have fewer people that are coming in, uh, being added into the population yeah. and they're going to be added into the workforce eventually. So what it creates this top-heavy sort of mushroom effect mm-hmm. where you have fewer people um, at the base that are supporting the masses of people at the top. Okay, thank you. Uh, the impact a maturing workforce will have on organizations in the not-too-distant future sounds worthy of focus by these companies, but it sounds like it could be a much larger socioeconomic problem. So. What actions are being taken by society or, or government bodies in general to address this? It, it permeates across all levels of society. So, so yes, there is that, that um, societal um, component to it when, and, a, and a, uh, a government component to it. You would say, you know, governments have, have recognized that this, is, that this is an issue and they're looking for ways to how do we... Uh, keep this these people um, away from being dependent yeah. on on the system mm-hmm. um, and uh, living healthier lives and productive lives yeah uh, so 
So part of that is they recognize, the governments recognize, and this is not just Australia, Australia recognizes this, but um, globally, they're recognizing that one of the, one of the ways to, um, to work on this is to increase the employment of, of mature adults. So, um, because if they're, if they're retiring at 65 and they're going to be living for another 20 to 30 mm -hmm. years, usually um, they're not quite, people aren't prepared for mm. that much time. You know, like what do you do with your time? What, how do you fill that time? Um, and, they, and they also may not be prepared financially. So uh, it, it can take a lot more money than people are expecting to live out retirement for 20 to 30 years working. And then also when you think about that, that shrinking base, um, there's less people coming in to the workforce. So even though the, the nature of work is evolving, lots of things are being automated, it doesn't mean that there's going to be an elimination of jobs. You know, people yeah. are still going to be needed to fill roles in, in the workplace. And if um, organizations are only focused on on the youth mm. um, and bringing in the, the the youngest cohorts and the youngest people, um, they're really going to be left left out in the cold, you know. Yeah. And also, if you think about it, um, uh, from a banking, you know, say we'll use a, a bank as a as a as an example, you know, this is a huge cohort of clients, and who who is who would better understand the needs of of these of these individuals than people that could identify more with what it means to be a mature adult in this day and age. Yeah. Are the skills that we will see disappear um, in terms of that grey tsunami as it goes across the uh, the event horizon of, of of employment? Are those skills going to be the ones that we still need? The skills of the future. Yeah. Um, well. People skills are something that um, I think we're going to definitely continue to need. We're going, uh, the future of work is very much a service-oriented a service future. Um, many of the, say, manufacturing kinds of jobs, these are being automated. The thing that you can't automate well is that customer, customer service approach. You cannot you cannot automate the the human touch. And so there's there's a lot of skills, these soft skills that mature workers in particular have had a lifetime to really develop and hone. And what and these are things that they just do well um, naturally. Okay. Um, and, and they, they, they exhibit a lot of the characteristics that that employers are looking for. Yeah. In in the in an employee, you know, they em, em, employers want someone who's going to be highly conscientious, that is going to be dependable. You know, they're going to show up to work every day and they're going to do their job. Um, they're going to maybe do a little bit of those those extra role activities. More mature workers just do these things. They're just um, highly skilled mm. in these soft skills that are really all the good characteristics that you want in a worker. Um, so, you know, that is something that will also be lost. And it's, and yes, you have this knowledge that's going to be lost. 
that could be really valuable as well because these are the keepers of of the histories of 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 the of an organization. You know, they know the process that um, that an organization has been through. They could rattle off what happened ten years ago, fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, and there could be lessons to be learned from that. That if people that haven't been there for all this time, they may go about repeating these same maybe maybe there were bad bad avenues that were taken and um if you didn't know that somebody had tried these already yeah then you may start going down that same path again okay um so i think there's there's a lot of wisdom um that that these workers have and how do you how do you capitalize on that how do you retain that mm-hmm. um you know, I think one of the one of the things is we get caught in this idea of a career trajectory, and um, so we think that the the trajectory of of someone's career over their lifetime it's always upward, and that's not necessarily what people want. You know, we're always thinking that they want to get higher and higher, higher levels. They want to make more and more and more money, but that isn't actually always the case. I mean, sure, money is, is important to an extent, but at some point there are maybe trade-offs that people would have. You know, they'd say, well, I don't really want that, you know, executive office and that executive job. I would like a job where I can be, you know, doing work that I feel is really contributing in an important way to an organization and to someone's life. I want to be able to uh, take this knowledge that I that I've accumulated, and I want to pass it on to mm. to the to the new workers. I'm aware I might be leaning into a stereotype here, but are we not in danger of um, making an assumption in this campaign for the recognition of uh, an aging or more mature workforce that there aren't in fact a number of um, or a segment of that workforce that in fact are quite looking forward to. Um, that retirement age and, and aren't looking for further work past um, the, the standard age of retirement. So I'd be keen to get your views on, on that. So um, as with all things that deal with humans, there's a yeah. lot of individual variability mm-hmm. in how people view work. So for some people, they say, um, uh, you know, I don't, I put in my time and I don't want to work anymore. Um, some I've heard a lot of people say, "Well, it's my duty to to leave the workforce and make way for the next generation to come in and have jobs." Um, there's some people that say, um, "Gosh, my health is declining and I can't continue working." But there's also a, a significant number of people that say, "I really, I really like work, and work is an important part of my life. It's an important part of my identity." And I would like to be able to continue to contribute um, yeah. to the workforce. Um, and so I, I recognize that there are the challenges on this. It's not just for um, employers that they face this alone, but it is also changing a mindset of individuals. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's, it, you have to come at it from a multiple angle approach. Yeah. So to that point, is that the biggest blocker to 
um, seeing a, an improvement or a change in direction around this problem uh, is mindset, uh, or are there also, um, I guess, uh, practical or operational blockers that perhaps prevent um, the more mature people from from I guess continuing in the workforce. So by that I mean um, there's obviously unconscious bias, um, people jumping to conclusions and, and potentially making decisions on behalf of that person around yes. what work they want to do and um, whether they'll be right for it and, and those yes. kind of things. But uh, are there any actual operational blockers um, in a hiring process or a, um, a, a process at work around deployment of talent that you've experienced or seen that actually stop people from moving into different roles? So I think organizations, people in organizations can make decisions for workers about what opportunities they are being offered yep. based on their age, making decisions, well, they're not going to want to go and, and, and take a step down yep. in, in, in a role. When actually that the individual worker, they may actually love and welcome that opportunity to take on um, a job that maybe is less stressful, less demanding, that would allow them maybe potentially more freedom, more flexibility, um, and maybe doing something along a mentorship sort of line um, where they're able to, to really share their knowledge. And now I'm feeling like I'm I'm the one being the downer here. Um, uh, and 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 while I, I I like the idea that introducing these this um, this AI when it comes to selection and that maybe uh, reducing the bias of the person who's doing the hiring or making mm-hmm. those decisions, um, I worry about if qualified individuals would not select to go through that process mm. because it doesn't have a human um, experience to it. And so, you know, it's this, um, I, I, I want to be mindful of not uh, promoting the stereotypes, but there, there, there could be some reluctance to, or, uh, to rely or believe in the technology. Yeah. Um, that it's going to be making um, a fair, non-biased um, assessment of my skills and abilities. Okay. And so it may, uh, I may just not partake in the process at all, even though I'm fully qualified and would be an excellent employee and an excellent candidate. Mm. I may say I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to even try because I don't like, I don't like the process. Yeah. I think it's really interesting you, you kind of touched on it um, there around the, the mentor style role and throughout our conversation we've kind of touched on um, although again a stereotype but the the desire to impart their knowledge and their wisdom to the next generation to um, to still be something to still count for something yeah um, and uh, to that point I, I it's in an existing organization where you have boxes of which are jobs um, that people are squeezed into there may not be the existence of a mentor or teacher or 
that type of role. But it then leads to the question, well, rather than coming from episode one, rather than squeezing people into boxes and roles, how do you, at the point that they no longer, or they've outgrown that box, um, rather than discard them, do you actually say, well, how do we create uh, a different shaped box, something that actually suits you retains the value of what you've amassed, but it's not in a throwaway culture that we're in in the world or disposable right. culture. It's the actual potential of creating a role for right. someone of that. I recognize that, that this could be a challenge mm. um, in an organization to design work that fits each individual in a unique way. You know, there are, there are tasks that need to be done you know but um can we think about how those tasks are assigned you know are there some people that are really good at a task and really enjoy that task you know can we think about how how the jobs are designed how do we structure these do they have to be that box or can they be many different shapes Mm. and you might actually be solving two problems in one because um, again market research would suggest that we talked earlier about the two-year tenure of younger colleagues Um, and a lot um, one of the weight um, get my words right in a second one of the um, motivators for leaving is the lack of development yeah development the lack of opportunity to advance that's that's yeah so so if you were to potentially uh, rather than discard of um, knowledge and wisdom and um, create almost a mentoring role um, that person could mentor develop um, the younger generation coming through which may alleviate some of that turnover and attrition you see at the two year mark because you're actually being upskilled and um, yeah. not necessarily learning all the cool new trendy things that are coming um, from a technical perspective but actually um, learning um, the soft skill side of things as well yeah well and I, and I think those younger workers they can get those high tech I mean any worker can get that that high yeah. tech aspect but getting that more personalized mentorship mm-hmm. um, I think everybody would value that yeah. and mentorship can go both ways I mean it's not just the 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 older mentoring the younger, but the younger can also mentor yeah. the older. You know, maybe maybe there is a young person who is very tech savvy and can um, help a more mature worker that struggles with with those with technology uh, learn that technology. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. It's been a truly insightful discussion. To finish off, what are the positives we can take from this and what do you believe are the next steps to create a more inclusive and productive workforce? So we talked about the negative stereotypes yeah. and uh, what, I, what I'm not sure I said here is that negative stereotypes have empirically been um, shown to not be true. They're not, they're not empirically supported. Um, but the positive stereotypes, so there's si- simultaneously there's negative and there's positive stereotypes, but the positive stereotypes about mature workers, they are empirically supported. We do know, um, you know, the stereotype older workers are more dependable. Well, that is empirically 
true. The, the final key ingredient here is to look for ways to have people of all ages uh, work together, create these, these interactions. Um, and it's a very specific sort of interaction um, that tends to be most successful at reducing age bias. Um, so it's when you have people that are um, at the same level, yeah. peers, and they're working together collaboratively towards some common goal. Automation is not age selective, but the soft skills which AI cannot replace are something which a more mature workforce can offer to an organization in potentially a newly created mentorship role. The positive from the conversation is that there seems to be no real barrier for tapping into those skills other than overcoming our own bias and challenging our own assumptions. Whilst that might be easier said than done, by doing so we could take a step closer to creating a more diverse, inclusive and thus more productive workforce. expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and the interviewees and do not reflect the official position of any organisations or associations.